Man, it's, it's good to be back with you. We're going to be in the 23rd Psalm. So if you've got a Bible or you've got a phone, uh, we're going to be in the 23rd Psalm. Uh, uh, Jordan mentioned, I've uh, been friends with him and Jess for a long time, met Jess. Uh, we were college students at the University of Maryland. And uh, my major was in communications and, uh, and, and kind of business and I studied the art of persuasion. And uh, when we think about business, there's this chain of partnerships, all these different departments and pieces that work together to get us the products that we purchase, the products that we consume. One link in that chain is advertising. And how many of you know advertisers are in the manufacturing business? And you say, well, what do they manufacture? They manufacture need. The job of an advertiser is to make me and you feel like we need the product or the service that they're offering. That's why some of y'all are convinced that you need to save money on auto insurance by switching to Geico. You live in New York City, you don't even have a car, but you feel like you need to buy some auto insurance. That's what a good advertiser does. They make us feel like we have to have, like we need what it is that they are offering or what it is that they're selling. And so all day long, especially in a city like New York City, I mean, I'm not used to it, so I step off the train and it's like, advertisements everywhere. And so we're constantly bombarded by these messages about what we need. And we're constantly being driven and influenced by these desires internally about what we, what we need or what we think we need. And here's the thing. What if I told you that you needed one thing more than anything else in your life? And that if you had this one thing, it would change everything. One thing that you need more than anything, and if you had it, it would change everything. Now, some of y'all are new to Renaissance, you're new to church. Even if you're new to Christianity and the Bible, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I know what he's talking about. The one thing I need is God. That would be true. We need God more than anything. I did not get on a train, come all the way from D.C. to tell you you need God. That's facts, but you didn't need me to come all the way here to tell you that. The one thing we need is definitely God, but we need something more than God. You know what we need? We need more than anything else in this world. We need intimacy with God. We need an intimate relationship with God. And there's a difference between knowing information about God and personally experiencing intimacy with God. And when you say, what do I mean by intimacy with God? I'm talking about a lifestyle a lifestyle of talking to God and trusting God and trying to please God, not in order to, to get anything from him or to earn anything from him because we don't deserve anything from him, but we try to please God because he's given us everything, because we, he's given us this intimate relationship with him. And the reality is most people go throughout their day, most Christians go throughout their day without being aware we go throughout our days being unaware that God is with us. Just think about your day-to-day. You can know up here all this information about God, but in our everyday life, on the train, in your cubicle, when you come home after work, you're chilling with your friends, like how consciously aware are we that God truly is with us? Our lead pastor said something to our church at the beginning of this year, and it stuck with me. One of the first sermons of the year, 
He said the most important thing in the world is not your family, not your husband, your wife, your kids, not your job, not your finances, not your health. He said the most important thing in the world is your personal relationship with God, your personal intimacy with God. It's the most important thing in the world is your personal intimacy with God. And the reality of the matter is we struggle to believe that. If not in our heads, we struggle to believe it in our lives and in our priorities. You need intimacy with God more than you need anything else. And Psalm 23 shows us how intimacy with God changes everything in life. Everything in life. The 23rd Psalm is the ultimate oldie but goodie. Like we all, come on, man, we all, even if you ain't really grew up in church, we all familiar with the 23rd Psalm. Some of y'all have it memorized. You probably memorized it in the King James Version. God bless you. We're going to talk, you know, I mean, we're going to keep it a little more simple, English Standard Version uh, today. But the 23rd Psalm is the most, one of the most well-known, one of the most beloved passages in the entire Bible. It's written by David. We don't know specifically when or in what situation he wrote it. What we do know is whenever he wrote it, that this psalm expresses a seasoned relationship with God that has weathered the storms of life. So I want to read it for us, and I want to encourage you, even if you know it, sometimes we hear passages of Scripture that are so familiar, and it's so familiar to us that we don't even hear what God has to say to us through it. So let me pray even before I read this text. Father, I pray that you would help us to slow down, not just in our bodies, but in our minds. Help our hearts to receive what you have to say to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23, verse 1. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy, he says, will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look at verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's basically, you can think of it as like the topic sentence of this psalm. He's basically saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, because I have this intimate relationship with God, I will always have everything I need. He's saying, my shepherd, my heavenly father, will not withhold anything necessary for me to enjoy the abundant life that he's made possible for me to live. And so the rest of the psalm is basically David expounding on or illustrating verse 1. What makes this psalm so amazing is not just that the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is the shepherd, but David says the Lord is what? He says the Lord is my shepherd. He uses very personal language all throughout this psalm. He leads me. He restores my soul. He says, God, you are with me. And here's why that's so important, because David is not just declaring facts about God. 
In this psalm, David is describing his personal experience with God. He's describing this day-by-day, situation-by-situation, intimate relationship with God. And he describes these four ways that intimacy with God changes everything in life. And let me tell you up top, you probably ain't going to remember all four of these ways. But here's my prayer. If one of these ways resonates with you, that you would cling to it and you would see God and say, God, I need to experience this in my life right now as I walk in intimacy with you. Here's number one as you walk in intimacy with God. When you're overwhelmed and drained, God will replenish you. He will replenish you. Verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That's what the shepherd in ancient Palestine would do. This is very hot, dry terrain. This is kind of very difficult area to navigate, especially for sheep. And so the shepherd would would take his sheep on this journey to find for them these green pastures where they can rest and these still waters where they can be refreshed. And that's why David takes the shepherding analogy and applies it to his soul, his spiritual and psychological and emotional well-being. David says, just like the shepherd physically takes care of the sheep, he says, God restores, he replenishes my soul. And this is a picture not of God rescuing wayward sheep. God does that. But this is a picture of God replenishing weary sheep. And listen, the gospel is not just good news about our sinfulness. The gospel is also good news about our weariness. When we're exhausted and we're overwhelmed. Let me ask you, have you ever been emotionally or spiritually drained? All of us have. Like completely tapped out on E. I have nothing left to give. My my capacity for joy is spent. Maybe that's how some of y'all feel even today. You you dragged your way to church because you knew you needed to be here. Maybe you didn't even know why you needed to be here. But if you're honest, you would say, I'm done. Like, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel in this season of my life. Because let's be honest, sometimes life wears you down. Sometimes life wears you down even when and sometimes especially when you're trying to obey and honor God. The overwhelming stress and strain of work. The sleepless nights. The constant demands of raising young kids. Difficult or hurtful relationships. Financial issues that constantly just wear on your heart. And where on your soul? Maybe it's a, a physical health challenge. All of us hit seasons and situations in life, right, that leave our souls weary and leave our souls drained. And listen, before we even move any forward, first of all, we got, especially in church, if there's any place, we got to get to a point where we can be honest that that's where we're at. Like, it's, it's, it's super cliche, but it's true. It's okay to not be okay. And I say that as a person who my wife has diagnosed me as emotionally dysfunctional. It's it's real. Jess and Jordan been trying to get me in an emotionally healthy Christianity. All that stuff is soft to me, right? And I need it. It's soft because to me, I'm so emotionally, like, detached. I met with a counselor. They said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your emotional health? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. And sometimes my pride, I love the hustle. I love 
constantly going after it. I love accomplishing more and more and more. And sometimes I'm so unaware of how I'm actually doing in my own soul. And my pride keeps me from being honest with my friends and with my wife and, and even with God, definitely to myself. It keeps me from being honest about the fact that I'm tapped out. We got to get to a place where we're able to be honest in our relationships with each other and our relationship with God and say, I am fried. I'm done. Sometimes God will call you to do things that drain you, that he knows will drain you. But God promises to be the one who will replenish you. He promises to be the one who will replenish you as you walk in intimacy with God. And you come to him and you pour your heart out to him and you hear from him through his word. He promises to replenish you. Now, what I'm not saying is that when we're weary or burdened, that all we need is a devotional time. Yes, you need a devotional time. You need to spend some time with God and his word. But sometimes we just need some sleep. I don't understand New York City. Or maybe because I'm old. Y'all don't even start getting ready to go out to like 1130. I got off the train last night. It's like 1045. It's families walking around. Like, what is wrong with y'all? Sometimes you just need some sleep. Sometimes we're weary, we're drained, we're overwhelmed, and sometimes you just need a counselor. Sometimes you need to take a break. I thank God that Jordan and Jess have a church family that cares about their physical and emotional well-being and gives them time like this, a sabbatical, to be able to get away and be refreshed and take a break. Sometimes you just need to laugh. You need to watch a good movie. You need to get outside and enjoy the beauty of nature. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. When you're walking in intimacy with God, then you receive all of those practical and physical blessings as good gifts from your heavenly father. The heavenly father who knows how you're wired and he knows exactly what you need in order to replenish you. And so even as you get some rest, even as you take a break, even as you get that good laugh, then you turn to him and you thank him and you re receive all of that as a good gift from your father who wants to replenish your weary soul. As you walk in intimacy with God, he will replenish you. Here's number two. When you don't know what to do, God will guide you. You will experience his guidance in your life as you walk in intimacy with him. Look at the rest of verse 3. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. There's a moral dimension to this that God's guidance will always align with his will. And so no matter what we think, what we feel, or what the people around us claim, God will never lead us to violate his word. Let me be super clear. This is what this means. If you ever feel led to do something or believe something that violates God's word, you are not being led by God. I don't care if it's your truth. If, if you ever... If you ever feel led to do something or believe something that violates the truth of God's word, you are not being led by God. 
You're being led by someone or something else. You are not being led by the heavenly father who has all wisdom and has good plans for you and wants to guide you. But even outside the clear kind of moral black and white, right or wrong issues, God guides us when we just need wisdom. We don't know what to do. God wants to guide you, whether you're trying to figure out like what, what job to take or who to date or what schools your kids need to go to. When you need wisdom, God wants to guide you. You're not sure what to do. You can seek his guidance through prayer and his word and godly advice, and God will show you the best path to take. Sometimes God will guide you directly by giving you specific wisdom in your decisions, and sometimes God will guide you indirectly through your circumstances. Sometimes we're like, God, which path do you want me to take? But we can have confidence that God is at work on the path that he currently has us on. I've seen that. I've seen God's guidance in my own life. When I was a college student, my wife, uh, she wasn't my wife at the time. Uh, We weren't even really friends, whole story. Uh, But... (laughs) We ended up kind of getting connected through some mutual friends. And so uh, our first date was me, my wife, and her best friend. And her best friend is still around. Uh, and I love her. And so the first time me and my wife hung out, I go pick up, pick Ashley up, that's my wife. I pick her up from on campus, and, uh, and I pick her and her friend Mary up. Uh, they get in the car. Mary says, Mike, I had a weird dream about you. And I wrote her dream down when I got back home. Now, that was as a college student. Fast forward six years later. I'm out of college. My first year out of college. I'm working for a ministry. They asked me to travel full time. And the first kind of station that I had, they were like, hey, I want you to move to Florida for about a year. And so I'm, I'm processing that. I love D.C. Roots are there. families there. Everybody's there. And so I'm processing, God, should I take this job? Should I move to Florida? And so I'm seeking God's word and prayer and seeking godly advice. And honestly, I didn't have 100% clarity what God wanted me to do. So I just made the best decision I could at the time. Seems like it's a good opportunity. I'm going to move to Florida. The night before I moved to Florida, I'm cleaning out my room. U-Haul truck is in the driveway. I'm cleaning everything up. I go underneath my bed. I pull out a dusty shoebox. I open the shoebox. In it is a piece of paper. I open the piece of paper. You know what it is? It's that dream. You know what the dream was? When Mary got in my car, she said, Mike, I had a crazy dream about you last night that you moved to Florida. Now, some of y'all might, and I understand because I'm skeptical too, some of y'all might say, that's just coincidence. Maybe. But why the heck did I write that dream down? Why did I just decide to write down a dream that somebody had about me moving to Florida with no other explanation? And why did I never think about it again until the night before I'm about to move to Florida? Maybe it was coincidence or maybe it was my heavenly father saying, son, I have been at work in your life guiding you this whole time. This whole time. And so listen, hear me, and I pray for you even as you hear this message. Some of you need to hear this because you you don't know what to do, and you're like, God, where are you? And I just need wisdom. Listen, God is already guiding you even when you don't fully understand what he's doing. He's already guiding 
you. And let me ask you something, especially if you have been walking with Jesus. Have you seen God's guidance in your life to this point? Maybe you don't know what God's guidance looks like for the next point. But if you've been walking with Jesus, you can look back and say, through the ups and the downs, he has been guiding me through situations and seasons that's led me to this point in my life right now. And if he has guided me to this point, then maybe I can trust him to guide me in the decisions that I need to make and the circumstances that I need to navigate. And why does God guide us? David says he leads me in paths of righteousness, ultimately for his name's sake. For his name's sake, for the sake of his reputation. When I was growing up, right before I would leave the house, my mom would run over to me. She would fix my shirt or get the crust out my eye, um, stuff that I'm like, I really respect now that I have kids. I'm like, I'm not trying to touch that. And, and she would just, and you know what she would say to me? She would say this all the time. She was like, I ain't trying to have you out here looking like a motherless child. And you know what she was saying? She was basically saying, listen, she was saying, I'm responsible for you. And listen, your well-being is a reflection of my care for you. And listen, isn't that why our hearts break and our hearts are burdened for orphans? Because we want every child to have somebody who says, I have taken personal responsibility for you. And you got to hear me. God says, I have not left you in this world as an orphan. God says, I do not want you to live your life like a fatherless child. No matter what has happened to you, who has abandoned you, no matter what you've done, no matter how confused you might be, God says, I want to take personal responsibility for your life and for your well-being. I will guide you through situations and circumstances. Why? For my glory to reveal who I am and ultimately for your good. For your good. And I say ultimately, and that word is important. He will guide you ultimately for your good because sometimes God will guide us through difficult and maybe even painful situations. And we may not necessarily be able to see or experience that goodness in the moment. This is number three as we walk with intimacy with God, when you're anxious and afraid, maybe even in dark and difficult circumstances of life, God will reassure you. He'll reassure you. You look at verse 4 and it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for why? Why do I not fear evil? God, because you're with me. Now follow the logic of these verses. The same God in verse 3 that is leading in paths of righteousness is the same God that's leading through the valley of the shadow of death. God has not stopped leading even though the picture has changed. The paths that God leads us on aren't always the paths that we would have chosen for ourselves. In fact, in fact, sometimes we find ourselves in dark and difficult circumstances. And in the midst of that, oftentimes we're tempted to ask, where is God? God, if you are sovereign, then why would you allow me to be in this situation? 
God, if you're real and you really care, and Edwin talked about this last week, if you really care, then why would you abandon me in the midst of this struggle? And listen to me, and I say this gently, I say it in love, I say it from my own experience. The problem is that we often equate God's goodness and his presence with verses 1 through 3. We think God's goodness and presence stops at verse 3, but it doesn't. Sometimes we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death or we see someone we love in that valley and we struggle to believe that God is there. But listen, the presence of suffering is not the absence of God. How do we know that? Because God himself came and he experienced suffering on our behalf. So just because the situation goes dark and gets difficult, it doesn't mean God is gone or he's absent. David experiences God in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. The shepherd would take the sheep to find water or to find pasture, and sometimes we have to lead them through and navigate them through these these deep kind of dark ravines, these crevices in the midst of these hills and these mountains. And it it was dark territory. It was dangerous territory because there'd be predators just kind of waiting in the darkness, And David says, in the midst of that, I fear no evil because, God, you are with me. And listen, it's not just that he knows God is with him. It's that he experiences the reassuring presence of God. That kind of without without a doubt kind of like, God, I know you are with me in the midst of this. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Have you ever thought about that? Why would a rod and a staff bring comfort? Well, here's why. Because the shepherd's rod was used for protection. He used it to fend off the predators. But the shepherd's staff was used for correction. It was a long stick with a hook at the end. And the shepherd would use it to pull a sheep back who was drifting off the path. It's this picture of the shepherd saying, I'm not going to let my sheep drift off the cliff. The shepherd protects the sheep from others, but watch this. The shepherd also protects the sheep from themselves. And this is exactly what God does for us. When we drift into sin or a pattern of, of unwise choices, he corrects us. He disciplines us in his love. Sometimes that discipline is tough. But it's one of the ways that we know God is still with us, that God hasn't abandoned us. God will do whatever's necessary to keep us on the right path, to get us where he wants us, to accomplish his good purposes in and through our lives. And listen, I want to be clear. I want to be clear. It's not that God protects us from experiencing bad things. Jesus was very clear. He says, in this world, you will have what? You will have trouble. You are going to have trouble. This is not fine print at the bottom of the contract with Jesus. This is not the dude speaking real fast at the end of the pharmaceutical commercial. You can take this, but you might die. This is not, Jesus is not trying to slide this past you. He tells you off the top, up front, over and over again throughout the Bible, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to experience some hard, difficult stuff just like everybody else. Christianity is not naive or misleading. Being a Christian, even a really good Christian, does not exempt you from trouble. 
And so this week, I get a phone call on Wednesday. One of our 17-year-old kids in my church is riding his bike and gets hit by a car. Immediately rushed to the hospital to meet his family. He had just been, he just got back like three weeks ago from one of our mission trips to the Dominican Republic. The week before that, he was at our beach week with all the rest of our teenagers. Kid we love so much, had autism, was like just the brightest like ray of just joy. Just We loved him so much. We get to the hospital. The doctors are working. I'm with his, his parents, and, and they can't even see him. For the first three hours we're there, they can't even see him because the doctors are trying to stop the internal bleeding, and they're doing all this stuff. And then I'm, I walk with them into the hospital room. Doesn't even look like himself. It's a, a, a breathing machine that's keeping him alive, minimal brain activity. We're praying that God would save his life. Two o'clock in the morning, they medevac him to John Hopkins in Baltimore because there's this machine there that apparently can infuse oxygen into the bloodstream because they couldn't get oxygen to his brain. Before they could even get him to the machine, he just said there's nothing else we could do. So every day since Wednesday, been with his parents, crying, grieving, our whole, our whole church, the whole community, he was the mascot for his high school, the whole community is grieving. After the 9 a.m. service today, I got a text from the driver who somehow was able to track me down. I haven't even responded yet. And just yesterday, I'm sitting with his dad in their house, and he's just saying, I just don't understand why. I don't understand why. And here's here's the thing. I don't understand why either. And I had to tell him, listen. You go through difficult and dark circumstances. All of us want, want to know why. And the reality of the matter, at one level, we understand why we live in a fallen world. All of us experience hardship. That doesn't help in the moment, to be honest. None of the answers that we can come up with are sufficient to, to, to soothe our hearts. Oftentimes, we don't get the answers that we want. But if you're walking in intimacy with God, what you will get over time is more perspective. You may not get more answers, but you will get more perspective. And you will experience, maybe not immediately, but you will experience over time God's reassuring presence. He will find ways to let you know, I am here in it with you. I have not left you. I have not abandoned you. And so we're walking through it. And Friday, all the school cheerleaders and athletes and teachers and the principal and people from our church and the whole community is going to gather and we're going to celebrate Jake's life. Walking with Jesus and even being a good Christian, it does not exempt you from going through difficult things. Intimacy with God doesn't keep you from experiencing the difficulties of life, but Intimacy with God changes how you experience the difficulties of life. It's the only reason Jake's parents, in the midst of their grieving, can still go to God in prayer. It's the only reason, in the midst of their grieving, they can celebrate not just Jake's life, but they can celebrate, legitimately grieve and celebrate the fact that Jake loved Jesus. And right now, he doesn't just need the reassurance of God's presence He's in the presence of God. 
what we all want to experience, he's enjoying it for all of eternity. It's only a life lived in intimacy with God that can give you bedrock foundation like they're experiencing right now in their life. Intimacy with God, it changes how you experience the difficulties of life. And this is why this psalm has been so comforting and reassuring to elderly believers throughout Christian history. Folks who've been through some stuff, not just over years, but over decades. And this is why some of us young bucks, especially like in a church like Renaissance, that's so young, this is why we need to have some meaningful relationships with some older brothers and sisters in Christ in the church who have walked with God over a period of time. And they're not just telling you some stuff that they read about. They're telling you some stuff that they've experienced and walked through in the highs and lows of life over decades. And they can testify to the reassuring presence of God. Man, we praise God for those older saints in this church who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Me and my wife, we were on a flight a little while ago, and we hit some turbulence. Like, the, the plane is shaking. So I kind of start shaking. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not showing it, you know what I mean? But I'm shook. And it dawned on me, the flight attendants were chilling. And it made me angry, because I'm like, y'all don't, you don't realize we all about to die? Like, how are y'all? <laughs> they were cold chilling, like the snack tray was still mobile. I'm like, what I don't need right now is a pretzel. <laughs> and it, and it, it hit me that if I really want to know what's going on, I don't need to look at the window. I need to look at them because they understand turbulence way better than I do. I need to look at them. I need to listen for the voice of the pilot. If they're not nervous, I don't have it. The plane might be shaking, but if, they're ch if the pilot hasn't said, we need everybody to put their seatbelts on, flight attendants, please be seated. If the pilot and the flight attendants are chilling, if they're not nervous, I don't need to be nervous. Let me say this to you. Even in the midst of your circumstance or situation, God is not nervous. He's not nervous. So the way you experience confidence in the midst of a situation that's shaking you is not to keep focusing on your circumstance. We're going to experience some rocky times and some, some shaky circumstances. The way you experience confidence is to look to God in his word and be reminded, hear him say to you through his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. I haven't abandoned you. And if I am with you in this, then I will see you through this. We need that reassuring presence of God. Here's the last thing. Even when you're in need, when you're in need, if you're walking with intimacy with God, he will provide for you. He'll provide for you. Look at verse 5. David says, you prepare a table, a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. They had to be salty. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
David's kind of switching analogies at this point to God being like somebody hosting a feast or a banquet in their house. And hospitality was everything in this culture and in many cultures still around the world. It's not like us today. People come to your house. They got to get their own drink out the fridge. They got, nah. Like then your identity was wrapped up in hospitality. And so you would come into somebody's home from a weary journey, dusty roads, and they would provide a way for you to wash your feet. And they would provide oil for you, not just as a sign of honor, but for you to kind of freshen up. And they would seat you at the table or you would recline at table if you were in the first century and the cup would overflow. This is, this is lavish hospitality. This is a festive occasion. They don't, they don't let your, your beverage, whatever it is, they don't let your beverage hit the bottom of that cup. The cup is overflowing as a sign of their lavish hospitality. I was meditating on that one word this week, that word prepare, that he prepares. And it was such a blessing to me, the thought that God has made preparation for me. I remember going to this, like, elite restaurant. This was like I was on a college student budget at this point, so I'm, I, I wasn't used to, you know what I mean? Like, Outback was like date night, like stepping up, trying to impress her, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so I go out with some family. I don't remember what we were celebrating. It was a whole extended family. Maybe it was my grandmother, some, I don't know. We went to this fancy restaurant, multi-course, white tablecloth, all this type of stuff. And so I get there. We get some appetizers. The appetizers were good, y'all. Usually I'm mad about small plates, but these were good. After the appetizers, though, then the, the, the waiter comes around and gives us some sorbet. Now, I'm thinking to myself, I know the meal isn't over. Why are they bringing out dessert? I'm like, I know this little goat cheese drop that we just ate was not the full meal. My mom leans over to me like, she's like, no, 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 son. Like, they give you, this is the seven-course meal. This is just the first course. They give you sorbet to cleanse your palate. So, so, so you can experience the rest of the Don't act like all oh, y'all knew that. Like you've known that your whole life. We, I know you're in New York City and we're all cultured and everything up here. No, they give you sorbet to, to and I, I remember thinking, this is next level. I'm like, you don't get this at the drive-thru in Taco Bell. This is different. This is different. These people have thought of everything. They have even prepared a way for me to wash my taste buds so that I could fully experience the flavors of the rest of these courses. I thought about that because what I'm not saying to you is God will provide for you. What I'm saying to you, I believe God is saying to you through this, is listen, when you're in need, God has already provided for you. He prepares, like he, he has he has made provision for everything that you need and will need in order to accomplish his will in your life. His grace is overflowing. It's overwhelming. He's already made provision wherever he leads you. He's already made provision for you there. You may not know the future. You may not be able to foresee all the challenges. But here's what you can know. And you can only know if you're walking in intimacy with God. Here's what you can know with 100% certainty that God has already made provision for you. He has taken personal responsibility for your future. 
He's taking personal responsibility for everything you need if you are his son, if you are his daughter. And not just for tomorrow, not just for the next season of your life. Look at what it says, this last verse of the psalm. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me for how long? All the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. Forever. Listen, wherever you go in life, no matter what the situation is, you got an entourage. You got goodness and mercy behind you wherever you show up. God is saying, listen, no matter what you experience, if you are my son, if you are my daughter, you are going to experience my goodness and mercy in any and every situation. If you are walking, you have goodness and mercy available. You only experience it, though, and be consciously aware of it if you're walking in intimacy with me. He says, listen, not even death can stop my goodness and mercy. Not even death can stop the goodness and the mercy of God. If you have put your trust in Jesus and you're walking with him, God says goodness and mercy will be your experience now and forever. And that's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus, God in human flesh, says to you and to me, like, I want to be your shepherd. Doesn't matter what brought you to this point. It doesn't matter what you've done to this point. Right now, I, I, from this point forward, I want to be your shepherd. Listen, that's not just my word. That's the words of Jesus, John 10. Listen to what Jesus says to you and to me. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And listen, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus says, I came to gather some sheep. I call my sheep through the gospel. And if you hear God's voice calling you through the good news of the gospel, then you respond to his voice and you say, God, I want you to be my shepherd. And here's the good news. We're not talking about a God who's distant. We're talking about Jesus, God in flesh who experienced our lives. He experienced our lives. And you see this when you think about it. He knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be weary and burdened. Even he had to pull away and be replenished and refreshed, refreshed in the presence of his Father. Jesus knows what it's like to be walking in a world that's full of confusion, and he humbled himself in submission to the Father's guidance. He only did what he saw his Father doing. He submitted himself to the Father's will. When he was in the garden, he experienced the reassuring presence of his heavenly Father. You remember when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's realizing what he's getting ready to experience on the cross, and he says, if this cup can pass, let it pass. And he experiences the reassurance of his heavenly Father. God, this is why you sent me. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. And did not God provide for him in the presence of his enemies? He's on the cross, and there are people mocking him and brutalizing him. 
And he died. And three days later, y'all, he gets up. Paul says in Colossians that God disarmed all spiritual rulers and authorities by triumphing over them. How? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. Imagine Satan's surprise when Jesus got up. In the presence of his enemies, he's given the name that's above every name so that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. We do not have a Savior who is distant. We have a Savior who has walked in our shoes. And he says, I am uniquely qualified to be your shepherd. And I want to be your shepherd. And so in just a moment, the band is going to come out. We're going to come to to receive the Lord's Supper together. But I just want to give you a moment before I pray because some of us need to just say to God, like, God, I've been running my own life. And I want to turn from my own self-centeredness and sin, and I want to put my trust in you, Jesus. I want you to be my shepherd. But all of us need the shepherding of God in some way. Maybe you would say today, I am weak and I am overwhelmed and I need to be replenished. I'm spent. Maybe today you need God's guidance in your life or you need God's reassurance in a difficult or dark season or maybe you have needs and you need God to provide. I want you to just take a second, just between you and God. You don't have to come up here. Just right in your seat between you and God and just say to God, I want you to be my shepherd or I need your reassurance or I need your provision. Whatever it is you need to say to God. Take a moment and just say it to him and receive his offer to be your shepherd today. Take a minute with the Lord. Father, we thank you. That you have not left us abandoned in this world on our own. That, God, you are not just God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but you desire this personal, intimate relationship with us. I pray for folks here who may be struggling, Lord. Maybe they don't experience this kind of intimacy with you. Maybe they've never even begun a relationship with you. God, I pray for all of us that you would draw us into intimacy with you, Lord, as we draw near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.